0: Hi, welcome to Season 2 of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winnie Da Silva. I'm thrilled to be back with you in Season 2 for another amazing lineup of conversations with transformative leaders. And thank you for supporting me in this podcast. If you've listened to an episode and felt its impact, could you tell someone? You could forward them this episode, post about it on social, or text someone who might be interested in listening. If you could share just one, I'd be grateful. My first guest of season two tells a story about herself as a first-generation American and how a little girl in kindergarten befriended her when she could only say five words in English. Hi, my name is Jihei. Fast forward a few years later, and she is determined to invite people like her into what she calls the frame. Take a listen.
1: A lot of people don't see Asian Americans in the frame a lot of people don't see women in the frame. They don't see minorities in the frame. All they've been seeing, especially in my industry, are white males in the frame. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, because they have always been in the frame, it may seem as though minorities or Asian Americans or women have never existed. We need to broaden that frame out. We need to make that frame bigger. That is so important because For me, as an Asian American, I had to fight to really get into that frame. Part of my responsibility and the responsibility of other people who may be lucky enough to be in my shoes and in my position, we have to offer that invitation and pull those people into the frame and make that frame bigger.
0: My guest today serves as partner and deputy chief investment officer of Bridge Debt Strategies Fund Manager, LLC, and has worked in real estate, Securitization and financial services for the last 17 years. Jihei Lee, thank you so much for being on my show. I'm so excited for you to be here. Jihei, you and I actually originally met because our children were in kindergarten together a few years ago. And I immediately liked you because you were so intentionally involved with your son. (laughs) For example, you were so committed to volunteering during library time that I think all the kids thought you were the librarian (laughs) or at least my daughter thought so. And yet here you are, an accomplished finance executive, stealing time away to be at the library for your son and the whole class. Anyway, I just always was impressed by that. And I thought that was pretty awesome.
1: Actually, everyone (laughs) thought I was a librarian and I was (laughs) proud to wear that title. And it was actually somewhat hard to do because it was smack in the middle of the day. And as our kids went to school uptown and my office was midtown, but I figured out a way to, you know, just block out my lunchtime and I spent Mm -hmm. that time racing to the subway to get there to read a story and just be there with the kids. And it wasn't really only just for my son, it was amazing for me to be there with all the students to be in a place where this is where it all starts. that's where it all started for me. Uh I grew up in New York City going to public school and Uh to be with these kids who still are starting to dream about the motivations and what they want to accomplish in life. It Uh was very rewarding for me, especially given the fact that many years before that was me Mm. in a public school library, having the resources that our kids now do, and that I'm that resource to them is such a great feeling.
0: I just really commend you for balancing that. Women especially, but also men struggle with how to do that in a way that feels good and feels Mm -hmm. like you're doing both jobs really well. And I just think that's a really great example of that.
1: You think about that a lot, especially smack in the middle of your day job. How do you carve Mm -hmm. that time out? Over time, I've learned that sometimes you just state it out loud. I'm going to my son's school because I've volunteered. And it actually is very empowering to be able to voice that because I think it also allows other people who may want to do that but are fearful to do it too. I've been very lucky to be surrounded by colleagues who came before me who are very family oriented and were very hmm. proud of being in those moments with their children. Obviously, you can't be out of the office 95% of the time, I think if you do your job well and you are able to perform at a level that is acceptable and exceeding, then you can also have the right to say, this is very important for me and I'm going to be there for my son. I'm going to be there for my daughter. And this is a time that's blocked out for myself. And people actually really give you a lot of respect for that.
0: So before we get into your leadership and what drives you and how that's evolved over time and leadership challenges and all that, just tell us a little bit about Bridge Investment Group, just at a high level, and maybe what you love about your current role as the Deputy Chief Investment Officer.
1: Bridge Investment Group is a private equity fund. It's a family of funds that manages over $20 billion of AUM at the parent level. I'm the Deputy Chief Investment Officer for Bridge Debt Strategies, which is the fixed income division of the parent company, and I manage about $7 billion of AUM over all the investments that we make. We actually started this vertical, myself and a couple of people (laughs) on our team, we joined from Morgan Stanley to the private equity world, and we decided that this would be our new home. And it was actually a really hard decision to make in the sense that I had worked at Morgan Stanley for over a decade, I was in a very profitable P&L seat. I was already running the trading desk there. There was really no reason to leave, if you think about it, because I have the safety of being at a blue chip firm for a number of years in a very great position. For myself, and I think for a lot of people on our team, this was a chance to really try something different. Quite risky, if you mm-hmm. think about it, because we left the safety network of a big company. And Bridge Investment Group has grown a lot since we've joined. I left with a number of people on our team. I continue to work with them. Now we've been working together for 17 plus years, wow. and, which is really unheard of, I think, anywhere. But in particular, in finance, that's very hard to come by. True. We have a very tight knit team that we've grown over the years, and we have a mutual respect for each other as professionals and as individuals. We know everything about each other, our kids' names, our dogs' names, and (laughs) I think it really just goes to show you the importance of relationships and the power Mm. of relationships. And if you're able to build good ones over time, how that can actually really benefit you in your career.
0: So let's get into some leadership challenges that maybe you faced. Could you talk about something that stands out in your mind in particular around a leadership challenge that you faced during your career?
1: Sure. So I've been now in this commercial real estate business for about 17 years. Like I said, I really jumped into it right out of college, joined Morgan Stanley after graduating from Brown from undergrad. And I literally have been in this industry for all those years. During that time, I went to business school and back, but I've been always in commercial real estate and I joined a trading desk from the get-go. And the thing is, it seems very fancy, but commercial real estate is an area you really need to build expertise over the years, the actual expertise and knowledge comes just from being around commercial real estate and doing deals and learning Uh about the deals and participating in those deals. So you really can't compete in this sector unless you just have the longevity of expertise, which for a 21 year old, 22 year old coming out of college is very challenging Uh because now you are working with a lot of people who have a lot more expertise under their belt. And in particular, um, in my fields where I ran pricing and I ran the trading desk versus all the other originators or underwriters who have been doing this for 15, 20, 25 plus years, that's quite the challenge. And I progressed pretty well at Morgan Stanley and became vice president by my fifth year. And that's when I start doing pricing and giving pricing to originators and underwriters. And that was a very difficult time for me because that is a point where now I'm not just running the numbers. I wasn't just doing the modeling, I had to actually come up with some way to communicate with the rest of our team, and be able to channel the information that I was coming up with as a doctrine for what we would be doing on that day or that week. And sometimes I would be working on deals where the underwriter was far older than I probably Mm. 25 maybe 30 years, even older than I and obviously has a lot more expertise in real estate than I do. Yet I was there giving them pricing on the deals that they were doing. And it's and I don't know if they were uncomfortable, but it made me uncomfortable, especially given the fact that I'm Korean American, I come from a Mm -hmm. culture where you respect your elders and you're young and you don't talk back, which really clashes a lot, I think with the kind of American culture as well as a trading desk culture. And Mm -hmm. I thought a lot about how how I can be a leader in a space like that where obviously I'm in a role of leadership yet mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that I have to manage or lead that have more years of experience or definitely do have more years of experience than I do. That was a very hard time for me. What I thought a lot about during that time was, what are they really great at and what what do I have to add to this business?
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And
1: when I started thinking about the positive things that other people have, let's say, for example, there was a very senior underwriter that I was working with. He had so much expertise in commercial real estate yet knew really nothing about capital markets or the pricing factor. And so what I realized I could do was really try to learn from him what he had to offer. And this has been my go to as I progress in my career, even within other team members that I work with, but there's something that you're very good at. But there's something that others are really great at, and they have more expertise on. And so I would tap into what they have and their knowledge and what they can teach me. And I wouldn't just go to him and just say, hey, pricing is X for the day. I would spend another 15, 20, 30 minutes talking mm. about his deal and learning mm. from him about how to actually underwrite, mm. for example, a hotel deal. How do you look at all the different tenants? How do you look at the distinguishing factors between this building and that building? And it was very interesting because people love to talk about what they know and by me allowing. 15, 20 minutes of my day with someone where I can actually get more information <laughs> from not only did I learn so much, but we started building a really interesting relationship where this person would be able to give me this information. So I think setting that basis in the relationship was so important because then if I told him pricing was x, he was so much more open to any feedback that I had or any of the Hmm. leadership feedback that I would have to give them. They trusted me with those numbers because now we have an ongoing relationship. And that I think was a way that I figured out it's not really about age. It's not Mm -hmm. really about even the number of years that you've been working somewhere, but it's really about building that relationship and building a relationship where it's two way, right? Like leadership is never about one person saying this is the way things should be done I think if you really want to be a great leader it's not just about seniority and it's not just about having spent a decade or two decades in a certain role it's about being able to really figure out what is the value of all of these people and Mm -hmm. what am I doing to be valuable to their work so that the entire business can actually move forward in a bigger and greater way and I think figuring that part out for me was so critical um, because Mm it not only allowed me obviously to advance in my seat there, but I think that's something that I have kept doing even into the years of my career today. Even when we have analysts come in or associates come in, we have to be ever learning, right? My husband and I—we talk about this a lot—but we use the term "teachable spirit." You have to be someone who's willing to learn from mm-hmm. others, and it doesn't really matter where you are in your role, how senior you are, because the world is changing and the market is changing. Who knew COVID was going to hit, and we had to redo all the things that you thought was a pattern in life? Yeah, and I think that being a, a person who's willing to open up and say, "Hey, I don't know about that. Can you mm-hmm. teach me about this?"
0: You talked about confidence and being confident in taking risks. But in the situation you described when you were younger, people might flip that around. Oh, what can I add? Because the insecurity could have gotten to the point where you were like, oh my gosh, I've got to demonstrate and prove my value. Mm -hmm. And you flipped it around and said, let me get inside their shoes for a minute and think about them and how great they are and how much they can teach me. And then where can I add to that? You weren't being overly confident, let me just tell you, but you weren't losing your confidence either, because yeah. you still recognize that you had something of value to bring and, and then spending time with them and being really intentional about that. I'm going to spend an extra 15 to you know 30 minutes with that person, because not right. only were you spending time with them, acknowledging their value, you were learning and therefore your relationship, I imagine was a good one. And so they
1: were willing to hear from you too. exactly the confidence factor is very important, because I think when people get worried about what they don't know, their tendency is to try to exaggerate or highlight what they do know. But I think part of being confident is being confident about what you don't know. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. Not everyone is going to know about everything. And this is my whole point about how you want to be a person that is ever learning. If you have a question, be the first one to say I have a question. I have done a lot of recruiting over the years. And I'm a mentor to a lot of younger junior professionals. And the number one question they always ask me is what advice would you give someone? And I always tell them I was like, the number one thing you should do right now is just keep asking questions. It's such a, you know, cliche thing to say. But so many people are hesitant to ask a question because they think that it's a weakness. They're yes. afraid to say that they don't know something. But actually, if the moment you say you don't know something, that opens up such an array of information that you can get from other people.
0: And it's interesting you talk about asking questions and that being advice to younger professionals, because that's something I talk about with the senior leaders that I work with, and how can they ask more questions? Because even though it's flipped around a little bit, oh, they're the ones that people are looking to know everything, but yet it's, it's just as important for them to ask questions because there's a lot you don't know, even though you're a senior leader. And how can you also just bring people closer going back to relationships? But I think you did a great job in linking that teachable spirit to confidence and being okay with what you don't know, and that being the teachable piece, but also being and confident what you do know. But what I want to ask you is, Jihei, where does that confidence
1: come from for you? I immigrated here when I was five years old from Korea, and Uh I went into kindergarten essentially knowing... Hi, my name is Chihei. five words. Whoa. And that was a very difficult time for me because I had never been in an environment where I couldn't communicate. And I still vividly remember those days of just not being able to have the confidence that I had before. So that confidence could have been crushed. I think that is when you really have to hone in on what you do know. So again, Okay. All I knew were the five words. Hi, my name is Jihei. <laughs> <laughs> and I actually recall and I'm still friends with a girlfriend of mine that I met in that kindergarten class, really? um, where I just kept repeating that to her. And she just kept Aww. trying to talk to me and I couldn't say anything else. But she was so great about guiding me and like using her hands and gestures to really help me get along and go along with what the teacher was teaching us and all of that. I was just on a panel yesterday where I was on the there with four other professionals. I don't know anything about some of the other sectors that these panelists are experts in, but I do know my field of industry. And it's such a great opportunity for me to be able to share, this is what I know and oh, I don't know about that. What do you think? And mm, to be able to hear from other that. people about that, there's always going to be a time, whether you're a senior person or a junior person, but you are where you are, because you have gotten yourself to a point where you have built up some information, whether it's yeah. the five words of hi, my name is Chihei, or whether it's a specialized knowledge of industry, you have gotten there because you have taught yourself something. And the thing is, sure, you are going to feel uneasy, I still feel uneasy thinking about that time when I kept repeating hi, my name is Jihei, because I really didn't know anything else. That's not the only thing you're going to know for the rest of your life. And that's confidence, knowing that you can get to point Z from where you are, is very important. Confidence is not what you know at the moment. It's about knowing that you can be more than what you know now. I think that's really important. I say that to my kids all the time. It's not about you knowing the multiplication table right now. It's about knowing that if you know this, you're going to be able to one day cure cancer. People are so focused on what if I fail? What if I can't do it? What if I look silly? What if I, I don't do a great job? But actually, the what if you should think about is what if I was supposed to cure cancer? What if I'm supposed to be the next amazing person? Like, what if I'm supposed to be (laughs) the next CEO of, you know, Microsoft? Like, what if you are going to think of what if in your mind, I always tell my children, think about the positive, what if, what if you're supposed to do an amazing job, but because you didn't think about that, you, you never gave yourself the opportunity. And I think that is such an important thing for confidence.
0: I have to say that image of you being in kindergarten and having just arrived at this country and this little girl who you still know and are friends with, and you only knowing five words and her wanting to communicate with you, even though you couldn't speak her language and she couldn't speak yours. First of all, I just feel like that is so symbolic of what we need in our world today is that, (laughs) that kind of interaction and that kind of patience and willingness to engage with somebody. And obviously she didn't know you, you didn't know her. And I just love that. I just think that is makes my heart Grow bigger. And you're right, though. Gosh, if you can overcome something like that and yet have a friend come alongside you, who again, you don't know at the time to help you do that, first of all, there's just a lot of hope there. And there is a lot of confidence because if you can get through that and be where you are today, that's where you get that confidence of what if and what could be. So I feel like you've already answered this question, but just in case there's more, when you look back over your life and your career, In addition to that, are there any other learning moments that
1: continue to propel you forward when you're in the midst of difficulty? One of the things I've been thinking about a lot, just over COVID and in light of all the different events that are happening around our country, against Mm -hmm. Blacks, against Asians, you were just talking about my friend who didn't know me at that time, but she had the love or the heart or the capacity to the empathy, right, Yeah. to guide me along. And we're still friends to this day. And I think about how now if we're here, maybe I should be that person. Mm. And now that we may have maybe that capacity or that empathy, maybe that's what I need to do for others, whether it's at work or whether even as I talk to my children, how to be that other person, right? Like how to be my friend in kindergarten. Yes. Um, I yes. think that's something that I think about a lot. I'm part of the Bridge Women's Network at our company. Okay. And I also mm-hmm. am the executive sponsor for the Asian American Pacific Islander group at our company. And I've been talking to them a lot about how how there are so many people that are there, but they are marginalized, and how there may be certain people who somehow have gotten to a place of visibility, the people who are in these places of visibility, really need to reach out to try to support and really get these people in the frame. For example, we're talking about our Bridge Women's Network and the next panel we're going to do. And I made a very important point that I do not think we should repeat any of you know the senior executives that have been on the last couple of panels, because there is no yeah. point in repeating the same visible person over and over again. That's not empowering. What's empowering is to get your colleague who just sits in the corner, they have so much to say. Um, but maybe they're just not getting the opportunity. For me, that's a very personal thing because I am actually only one of three women that are at the partner level at our company okay. and okay. the only C-level that's partner at our company.
0: And wow. I am
1: also the only woman of color that's mm-hmm. in this group. I mentioned that only because I think about it until I get to a boardroom and I'm like, wow, okay, this is very <laughs> interesting. Or when I get into an investor meeting and everyone there is a an older white male and it's just myself. And there is this feeling of no one's gonna really say, but there are often times where it's a very visible thing to notice that I'm not like them. And there can be biases. Maybe there aren't, but there could be. But the moment I start speaking and I start talking about my product and my fund, you can see their change, Hmm. you know, in their face and in their eyes. And for me, it's actually very empowering because I know they wouldn't say, but you know that there's a change. And that's something that over the years you learn, don't be uncomfortable in those situations, Mm -hmm. but you know, just know that can be a moment of change. Um, yeah, for yourself yeah. too, a, a moment of growth, but a moment of change for the others a moment yes. for them to be able to see, wow, what I thought is different from what it is. And so you want to take every one of those moments that can be visible to create mm-hmm. some sort of change. And I think yeah. that change um, is a very, it's a very, it's not such a apparent thing but it's something from the inside that's happening. Those are the things I think about a lot having come through my career. Now I am more visible and more suitable to implement change. When you get there, you don't think, wow, I got here. This is the end. When you get there, that's when everything starts happening. This is when now you have to start thinking about how am I going to help all these people who are marginalized? How am I going to help myself, that was that five-year-old in that kindergarten. How am I Mm going to help these people get to a place, you know, where they feel like they're empowered and they're visible? I really like the words you use to describe this, getting people in
0: places of visibility, and get them in the frame. I think that's really a nice way of saying that. And like you said, not the same people. Bringing unexpected people, maybe if they're more junior, or maybe even from other industries. I can definitely see the connections between your confidence, but you wanting to then share that confidence and bring people along with you to share that position of power, actually.
1: It's interesting because when I go to a meeting and I bring like my associate, we get to the room and let's say we're there first and there's only a whatever number of seats. Their Mm -hmm. tendency is to sit in the back or in the corner because they want to leave the seats for, you know, the senior people. And I always tell them, I'm like, no, sit right here. Sit down right next to me. You got here first. You're here early and ready for the meeting. You deserve Uh the seat. You do not need to save a seat for somebody who's going to be 10 minutes late. They're not ready for this meeting. And it's very empowering for them to learn that. But the power is when I say that to them, because then they feel like they have a right to be there. And I think that's very important. Sure, it'll be great if my associate just goes in and sits down. But I think for that moment, the person who can offer that little extra bit Mm -hmm. of help or support is very important. Like that moment where I say no, you should sit right here, it goes so much more than that associate just coming in and sitting down.
0: Well, because what you're doing is you're in a position of power, and yet you're a woman, you're Asian American, and you're inviting that person to sit next to you. And that's such a big step is the invitation to say, you deserve to be here, you have value to add, and don't shy away from that. You've already touched on this. I'd like to hear how your experience as an Asian American woman how does it impact or influence your leadership and, and maybe particularly right now, given the most recent demonstration of racism in the Atlanta shootings and other places? But how does your experience, you know, impact your leadership?
1: Given The kind of experiences that I had to go through as a first generation immigrant and having faced, for example, everything from the little remarks that could be categorized as anti-Asian to all the big sort of incidents that have happened to me personally or to the community. And not only just for Asian Americans, but really for any other group in the United States, you think a lot about who is in that frame and who is not in that frame. And what I've been trying to do with the Asian American Pacific Islander group, for example, at our company is we've been talking about the importance of education and education Mm -hmm. in terms of letting people understand and know how Asian Americans have been involved historically in Mm. the United States, because I think part of the problem is that a lot of people don't see Asian Americans in the frame. A lot of people don't see women in the frame. They don't see minorities in the frame. All they've been seeing, especially in my industry are white males in the frame. And Mm -hmm. unfortunately, because they have always been in the frame, it may seem as though minorities or Asian Americans or women have never existed, but they have. We need to broaden that frame out. We need to make that frame bigger. Maybe we just need to zoom out. We've been zooming in Mm -hmm. so much on, oh, this person was so important. And unfortunately, a lot of those highlighted people over time have always been older white males. But maybe it's time for us to zoom out. Just zoom out and look at the entire landscape. Look at everything else around it that's actually supporting it. Make sure that frame is inclusive of the entire Mm -hmm. story. And not Mm -hmm. just one portion of it. And that is so important because for me, as an Asian American, over time, I had to fight to really get into that frame. And Mm -hmm. I've been so Mm -hmm. lucky because I think there have been a lot of people along the way that have helped me get pulled into that frame. I use that word a lot. We have to help pull in these women who may be just one layer below, or these minorities who may just be one centimeter outside of the frame. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people, no matter how much they are self motivated to get into the frame, they may not be able to do because like you said, they've never gotten that invitation. Part of my responsibility and the responsibility of other people who may be lucky enough to be in my shoes and in my position, we have to help offer that invitation and pull those people into the frame and make that frame bigger. Because I think It's already happening. It's not like Mm -hmm. we're changing history. it's always been like this. Women have always been a part of history, part of this industry. Minorities have always been a part of this history and in this industry. Just people haven't known that because we've been Mm -hmm. zooming in so closely to the center and we're not looking at Mm -hmm. the entire picture.
0: Maybe you could talk a little bit more about that connection a little bit more closely around understanding the history, doing some education, and how that can increase more invitations to people of color, women, LGBTQ. How, do, how are those connected if you're able to the history and the education and that invitation?
1: Yeah, the educational portion is so important. You know, I think about what I learned. I grew up in New York City in the public school system. And when we did Black History Month, we barely even called it Black History Month for that yeah. no matter. We never celebrate Lunar New Year. We didn't have Asian American Heritage Month. Now we have those. Our children have those. And so it's yes. that much more important for them to have that information. And because if they have that information, it starts expanding their frames from the get-go. They have yes. the ability to already see that... My friends are not about color or about financial situations or this or that. But they can already, it's already encompassing. It's already yes. being pushed out. And I feel like who can push that out? Sure, the institutions, the schools can change and push that out. But I think it's also our own personal responsibility. That's part mm-hmm. of the reason why I volunteered at the library. Because I want people mm-hmm. to know mm-hmm. that Shane's mom can be at the library and be the librarian. Yes. But you want to be visible.
0: I love that. I love that. This has been such a fun conversation. And I'm curious about you are someone who is ambitious, you're pushing yourself to grow and learn, you have that teachable spirit. And that's what you tell your kids, but you also live by it. If you would feel comfortable sharing, how are you growing in your leadership now? Like, how are you pushing yourself now? What are some things that you're doing
1: to make yourself a better leader? From the outside, Jihei could be the, oh, American dream come true. She's an Asian American, (laughs) first immigrant. She's now a C-level person and she's made it. And you can leave it at that. But this is where I was going with, this is not the end for me. I have been realizing more and more that this is really the beginning of what I'm actually supposed to do in my life. I've gotten myself here, but now I think it's about how do I create more of these experiences, right? Like how do okay. I create more Jihei experiences, not only for mm-hmm. my children, but for everyone who could have been that marginalized kindergartner? And I think that for me, because I am already in a pretty visible seat, it's been really important for me to support that next layer of people who may not have that visibility. For example, at the firm, if there's a panel they want someone from our team to speak on, I've been really encouraging another one of my colleagues who have never spoken on panels before. I've been inviting her to a lot of the investor meetings, for example, that I go to so that she can get more comfortable speaking in front of people and just have more confidence in what she does. And for me, creating those opportunities for other people now is a huge thing that I think about a lot. I can just do it, obviously. And sometimes (laughs) it's just easier because it's just faster and quicker. But it's not about the faster and quicker, you have to think about the deeply rootedness of the business and the culture. And if you want to do that, you have to invest your time. What I find so amazing is as I've been encouraging, for example, other female colleagues of mine, or other minorities that I work with, to be in a more visible state, how much they want to do it. They have always wanted to receive that invitation, but no one yeah. has done that for them before. And then on top of that, there may be certain things that they may need coaching to speak or coaching mm-hmm. to put together a better presentation, but being that resource for them. I've been so lucky to be at the receiving end of so many great relationships from colleagues and mentors of mine who are really great professionals in their field, but also just genuinely Great people, and I feel it's been very intentional for me to cultivate that with my mentees or with the junior professionals on my team to make sure that I'm empathetic to what they are going mm-hmm. through. But Really at the end of the day, like we're all people and everyone's got their stories. And you know, to be able to empathize with someone and their story and to help them so that they can get into the frame that we're talking about, that all comes from the relationships and the empathy. It doesn't come from numbers.
0: What you're doing is looking around for all the other Jihes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but that that's such a, a beautiful thing because I feel like that's so seared in your psyche. Not only how it impacted you and the advantage and the joy and the opportunities that relationship and that moment gave you, but now you're like, okay, where can I replicate that? Where can I create more of those experiences for other people who who might you know not know the language and not have the skill set or not have been invited? How can you play a big role in in doing all of that? Exactly. Okay, so I feel like we covered so much great stuff. I, I loved your stories. Is there anything that you want to say more about leadership, about what you've learned
1: or, or anything else that, that we didn't talk about? <laughs> I guess the one thing that I would probably want to mention is that yeah. it's not easy. I think that the problem with uh, these stories is that you hear them and you're like, well, she did yeah. great, he did great, good for them. Yeah. And I just want to say that, Everyone's story has the downs and yes. the ups are great because the downs were that much lower. And for me, what keeps me still going is all those relationships that I've been able to build over the years.
0: When you think about someone's life and career, there are going to be ups and downs, like you said, But those relationships will not only help you get through the down periods, they'll celebrate you with the up periods. But I think just having those relationships and knowing that they're there ground you for those ups and downs. And and yet, I love that you added, it's not about finding what you can get. It's figuring out where you can give, too. um, And where can you be that person, too? Right. Yeah. So... Jihei, this was awesome. Thank you so much. I love this conversation, and I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me today.
1: Oh, of course. Absolutely. Thank you so much for involving me.
0: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winnie Da Silva. Could you take a few minutes to provide a rating or write a comment on Apple Podcasts? Also, reach out to me at www.winniedasilva.com. To learn more about my work in executive coaching, leadership development, and team effectiveness. If you have your own story of overcoming a leadership challenge you'd like to share, please email me at winnie at Maybe I'll even have you on my show. Thanks so much.